Hello and welcome to Death of a Thousand Cuts, making you an awesome writer one cut at a time. My name's Tim Clare and this is a show about writing for writers, for readers and for anyone with a morbid fascination with how the story sausage is made. On this show we have three central planks to our writing manifesto. Plank the first to help you write more, plank the second to help you write better and plank the third to help you be a little bit happier as you do those things. To that end, I often get guests on the show, other authors and different writers and creators, and I talk to them about what it means to them to be a writer. I sometimes look at the first pages of listeners' work and give them feedback and suggest ways that they might make it even better. And I also talk about various issues to do with writing. Um, As I record this, uh, it's the first episode I've recorded since... Death of a Thousand Cuts, my little podcast, uh, broke the uh, million listens mark, which I'm very well aware for many podcasters. It is no big milestone. Um, many podcasts uh, have millions and millions and millions of listeners, maybe even millions of listeners a month or week. But uh, f- for me, that was pretty huge. And uh, I'm not going to spend the episode talking about uh, that because it's not intrinsically useful to reflect on the actual numbers uh, except I just wanted to, to, to I felt it would be weird for me not to uh, acknowledge it some in some way and also just be proud of it you know like I, I'm really happy and excited and it is uh, you know in some ways we're just you know a few thousand more than we were a week before but it's kind of cool, and I just wanted to say thank you. And I also, I think I made a promise to myself years ago, before I had had my first book published, um, that I was never going to... <laughs> this is, some, to some extent, pushing at an open door, but I, I made a promise to myself that I was never going to be... If I got... If I did writing, right... And I, I got to do my dream, which I, I do now. You know, this is what I always dreamed of, was being an author, being a professional author and writer and being able to make stories and make books and help other people make stories and make books. It's gen- <laughs> It's funny now I say that, I realise it's true. What a lovely thing, you know, like I'm living my dream life. I have my wife and my daughter, I have a roof over my head. I have enough to eat, I'm healthy. I mean, it's a lot more than I ever, ever, ever dreamed. I, I'm, I'm not gloating. <laughs> You're wrong. I'm sorry. You know, if things are going badly here at the moment. I wasn't meaning to, to rub it in. I'm just saying it's kind of amazing. And I, I made a promise to myself that I would never be too cool to allow myself to be wowed by that. And yeah, like, uh, like I said, you know, one never wants to come across as smug. That's Note, note that is subtly distinct from one never wants to be smug. Perhaps I'm ha- quite fine with being sort of privately smug on my own time, but I don't want to give the impression that I don't want to let on that I'm smug. But I just think if we're going to enjoy writing, if we're going to do this, it would be sad, wouldn't it, if if we got to the place that we'd always dreamt of getting to. And then felt like we were too sophisticated to be like, oh, this is brilliant. 
Oh my gosh, what's going on? This is cool. Wow. Oh my goodness me. And I'm just happy to say... I'm still just sort of amazed. <laughs> and look, actually, to be fair, when I've heard other writers go, oh, it's so amazing, guys. I'm I'm knocked off my feet. This is just, it's such a thrill for my book to be out. I've, and I've you know, I'm doing a voice on it. Like, part of me rolls my eyes. I go, you're not that bothered. You want to sound, you're trying to make yourself sound modest and kind of like, oh, you love me. You really love me. Um but but that's you're being a bit precious and a bit over the top and that's just my own sort of weird judgmental inner critic in that inner voice you know that we all have sometimes we're a bit judgmental of other people and it really it's to do with our own vulnerabilities and weaknesses and secret fears and I think that's true of me there I, I, I judge other people doing stuff that you know that I fear in or dislike in myself and and I, I wish I were better at that, you know, at just going, maybe that person is just genuinely excited. And maybe, you know, them talking about their success is bringing up feelings of like inadequacy and jealousy in me. Maybe I'm a little bit fearful, like, oh, am I not doing as well? Maybe that's why I doubt their sincerity, because it's a way of me sort of closing the perceived gap between our statuses, right? That I go, oh, well, you're not very, you know, actually that person is... Is, is morally reprehensible. Oh, no, I feel a bit better about myself, you know? But it's just cool. Like, I find writing... And by the way, I'm just going to talk this episode. I'm going to do this episode as a writing ramble. I've got a specific thing that I'm going to move on to, actually, so maybe it's not a writing ramble in the classic sense. But I just want to make this episode sort of accessible to new listeners. If you you know, joining the podcast, hi. I'll sort of talk about myself in a second. Um, a little bit about writing. And I would actually like to talk this episode, just so you know, so if you aren't interested in this subject, then you can switch off and then do something more important with your day. I feel like that, that would be a sort of basic uh, acknowledgement and respecting and honouring of your time. Um, I'd like to talk a bit about writing nonfiction today, because it's been on my mind, because it's what I'm doing, and it's what I did for my last book, and I feel like I've got a few suggestions to make. I feel, look, that writing non-fiction as an exercise is something that no matter what genre you're working in, whether you want to write stories, whether you want to write poetry, whether you want to write uh, scripts, whatever you want to do, having non-fiction somewhere in in your in your in your repertoire, having it as, as a place you can return to. To kind of work out as a, you know, one of the machines in your writing, creative writing gym, I think it's, I think the personal essay and it is always going to be useful to you or creative, creative nonfiction in any capacity because you'll always have your own life to work from, and I think it can be therapeutic and I, I just think it's, I just think it, as even as it, so if you're not, if you've never considered writing nonfiction. Well, one, I'd say you might quite enjoy it, but 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 secondly, secondarily, I, I I think it's a great cross-training opportunity. I think it's a great place you can go to if you go. I'm I'm actually ruling this out as something I'd ever want to do. That's fine, and actually, that can make it even better as an exercise in creative writing because you know, well, no one's ever going to see this because I'm not, you know, I'm not doing this for publication for a project. So then it just becomes its own little ring-fenced area of 
sort of personal nurturing growth and effort and it becomes its own little hobby and I, I do you know hobby can be this terribly belittling word but gosh you know having a place having your own garden and being able to work on it without thinking is this going to be able to can I, will I be able to convert this and convince a series of people to convert this into food <laughs> for my behalf if I if I arrange a series of letters in a certain way will other human beings will, will will the various economic systems we've set up convert that through various sort of like through the dark art of abstract economics will, will that eventually come back to me as food if i press this sequence of keys in such a way that these publicly available 26 letters and various grammatical marks uh, if, if i'm able to arrange those in a way that um satisfies probably only like six judges in various professional capacities most of which i will never see or even know their names but if i can do that then um then i'll be able to eat am i doing what you know what an abstract evaluation process we're asked to go through when we're working as professional writers <laughs> like it's 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 of little surprise that um a lot of writers are uh, um somewhat um well I, i've stopped talking you know i i i you know i as if you've listened to the show before you'll know that i you know i have various brushes with uh mental illness i would say brushes with mental illness i would say they're pretty big pretty big brush it's certainly not a certainly not a you know it's certainly not not a moustache or beard brush it's more like a you know those massive roller brushes you get in a car wash that i've been pushed through naked by sort of a, a crowd with pitchforks while it's on its hot wax cycle there's a nice little image for you there um the, the, the you know so to get back to what i was saying before i just think it's i want to always embrace being excited about the good bits about writing and being amazed and recognizing that if the me in university or as a teenager could see where i am now yeah i mean i mean sure like you know i did have moments of hubris where i imagined by 22 i'd be like a best-selling author and stuff like that so maybe there would be a moment of oh I know, really oh that's not quite what i env envisaged but for the most part especially like the amount of time i i suffered with like uh you know like depression and feelings of real dejection and feelings that i was useless to look at it and go off oh, hey <laughs> That's pretty good. And in fact, at the times where I just thought I was never going to be able to do anything, that I wouldn't be able to cope, that I wouldn't even survive this long. It's kind of a paradise. And I don't think your engagement with your writing has to meet the standard of, you know, someone in a publishing house somewhere validating you by going, here's some money for it. Like, I, I think that's not a, a very healthy way to think about your self-worth. Uh, regardless even if they say yes I still think it kind of uh, I don't want to use anything that sounds too kind of LA mum but like you are kind of handing over your power to someone else and I think whenever you allow someone who isn't you 
to sort of be the final judge of your own self-worth which you know in my opinion is sort of intrinsic and inalienable and you are just worthwhile and inherently valuable and wonderful by virtue of being a human being and being alive and being you know unique a unique iteration of that you know i don't think you can do anything that um earns that i think you just are worthwhile but when you hand it over to someone else even if they go wow you're wonderful actually what you do is forge a bond of dependency upon that person and feelings of resentment right like you you start to feel a bit like why am i having to like jump through all this ho- these hoops to try and make this person like me and they probably don't see the relationship in that way by the way they don't, they're probably not feeling like well i'm gonna decide whether this person is whether this person lives or dies whether this person is a complete waste of time or not they, they don't see it like that but i think we can all do this you know with partners with our children with people we have professional relationships with with uh, friends with the sort of unseen nominal social media crowd or with you know readers or the public people in the publishing industry or whatever there's this feeling of looking to people for ultimate validation and even when you, you you're given it and you know i used to because you know i used to do like live performance a lot like uh, performance poetry stand-up poetry really laughs and stuff and you know you could have evenings where you know i had the full ran the full gamut of you know, responses from an audience but you have evenings where you you crush it i think everyone who's performed for more than sort of three gigs has had shows that go very very well and you do have an immediate feeling of validation it's also just like on a non-egotistical uh, level it is just nice to be in a room surrounded by happy people and you brought some of that happiness to them but like i, I think there's a perfectly sort of non-malignant aspect to it which is just like i'm doing a job i'm doing it well that feels nice i'm surrounded by some people some people and they are happy and that's nice to see that they're happy and i contributed to their happiness well that is nice good well done me you know all of that's completely fine and healthy i think and not terrible or wicked at all and i think there's a there's a sort of um egotism in talking about egotism sometimes with people in the creative arts and the performance performing arts where we talk about ah, it's all about ego and stuff like that well no no i think there's a you can have pride in this come on you don't need to self-mythologize yet and start but but you can also feel a little bit like when you get that validation like oh fuck like that's where i go to get my feeling my good feeling now what if next time they don't like me and you can just start leaning on that and you become dependent on it. And then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of dancing around the language of addiction and I, I think that maybe that's a step too far. But you, you get the idea and I think that can happen with with any pursuit that we do or do well or do for pleasure or anything like that that, that we have to sort of manage how much of us... Well, it's, it sounds like I'm being mealy-mouthed when I say you, know, you have to manage how much of yourself you give to your writing. I don't mean that at all. I think you can give your heart and soul to trying to do a book well. You know, you can be very, you can make yourself vulnerable, you can put a lot of effort in. 
I think you can do all of that without going, and if if a rando doesn't like the result, I'm bad. Or, or contrarywise, if a panel of three judges on a book prize say that this is good, I am good. Like, no, that's not true at all. People who, you know, you probably don't like or approve of their ethics or the way they've lived their life have sold millions of books in the past and people who've worked very, very hard have, uh, you know, had their work sort of, well, you wouldn't know because it's, you know, because of survivorship bias, right? You don't, you don't see, you don't have access to all the people whose work is objectively brilliant who you haven't i'm not talking about myself <laughs> sorry i realized the way i the way i started anonymizing it you don't you don't know about the people laboring in the in the shadows who have written probably the best novel stroke thing of the 21st century and it's just it's just too early and maybe it'll be dug up in the 23rd century and they'll realize but it'll be too late and he'll be a uh, the the most popular hypothetical dinner party guest, dead or alive. Will be will be Tim Clare. But all you'll have is this this audio record of his terrifyingly yet charmingly vulnerable, terrifyingly prescient prediction that that's what would happen no, but anyway i want to my, my point is i'm excited and happy uh i'm working on this new non-fiction book uh my daughter's just started school and so i've been a little bit sort of distracted from writing from uh, because of that and um, as a result i didn't make very good notes and I'm looking back at my work and going, I can't remember what I was doing. So I've got a little bit of a hill to climb. And I, I must admit, I opened the, the files today to look at my notes and realised I've hardly made any notes. And I, I'm like, I'm not great at this. I'm not great at this. Uh, but I thought I just want to jump into a little bit of a talk about writing nonfiction maybe particularly not ne- no not necessarily particularly particularly non-fiction about yourself but i just wanted to talk a little bit because i've written i've already got one book out that you may have heard of called we cannot be astronauts that came out in 2009 i want to say i think it was 2009 and that was a sort of memoir about writing but also about me having depression i think i don't eat do I? Yeah, I think I do use the word depression in there, but I think <laughs> I I talked about, you know, I think I wrote the book as if like it was all about me not becoming a writer. And I think it was more to it than that looking back. But anyway, um, and uh, I've got a new book coming out next year called Coward, which is all about anxiety, which is now finally we've been able to announce it. And there's proofs going out to various people and that's all quite exciting but I must admit you know you just try and get on with the next thing because it's exciting but uh, you know you've got no control over it and I and I, and, and actually not to immediately contradict what I said about not being oh you not you know you've got I want to always be excited about stuff I'm excited that I get to do this I, I'm excited about the writing but I'm not always actually that excited by stuff being out there like that's not the bit of it that i feel excited or 
pumped by. I, 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 I enjoyed the writing of it and the discovery and the process. And kind of once it's out there and it's written, um, the, the kind of the game's over. My role in it is over. I mean, it's always great. You know, if someone enjoys it. If someone gets something out of it, that's that's terrific. Of course, it's terrific. But um, I don't. But that's kind of ancillary to the great part of it, which is, you know, I'm I'm working on a book now and I don't know what it's going to be about. Uh, ultimately, you know, obviously I've got my theme and I know roughly what I'm writing about. I'm, you know, working on something about games, tabletop games and the people who play them and the communities around them and, th- and uh, why I'm interested in them, why I at 40 care so much about them, sometimes to the point of obsession. And you know, the, this is something that interests me, and I want to want to write about it. But I'm interested because I'm getting to speak to people, and it's a bit sometimes writing a non-fiction book. And so, so I guess what I'm going to do for you over the next you know few minutes or however long is just try and make a pitch of like if you've never considered writing non-fiction, why I think it's worth considering. I think a lot of us have got a model for writing a novel, right? We, you know that you get an idea for a story and you start writing I think less of us have got an idea or really know that we have permission to sit down and write some non-fiction you know sit down and write a book that is about something real that isn't some sort of like incredibly complicated I mean biography although you know we've Actually, we had Kieran, I had Kieran Pym on a few episodes ago to talk about a biography that he wrote. And he sort of talked a little bit about that process. So, of course, you can can do that as well. And, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go into this in a sec. But I, I think few people have a sense of permission of being able to write nonfiction. Or they think, well, why would I want to write? You know, no one wants to read about me. And... I just think it can be one of the most exciting, enriching things to find a story that you want to write about or something in the real world and then research it. Oh, oh, it's like being a detective. I've never been a detective. I'm using a kind of simile that nods towards cultural stereotypes, but it's just like going on a treasure hunt. And every non-fiction book that I've written sat down to write genuinely the writing of it has genuinely without exaggeration changed my life genuine like I can't that I can't put it in any stronger terms and that's honest um and it's not that's not a reflection of the quality of the books at all. That's not. I'm not making any kind of claim about whether you would enjoy the books or whether that. It's, it's kind of again. It's that's kind of like outside. It's kind of irrelevant to whether the books are any good. I'm just saying the process, the process of writing a non-fiction book. This is my first argument for why you should consider it. The process of writing a non-fiction book about a subject you really, really, really care about. Almost one, I'm going to use the phrase, that you have to write about. 
you you don't obviously it's always voluntary but unless a slightly bizarre set of circumstances uh which you would be incapable of not choosing whether to write the non-fiction book but writing a non-fiction book on a subject that you have to write about i think can't not change your life that is inelegantly phrased can't not if you write about something that you care about deeply it will change your life guaranteed i think that's probably the best summation and how 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 has that happened for me well it's my first book uh we can't all be astronauts as I, you know, writing about wanting to become a writer and having failed and writing about depression and my relationship with my dad and writing, meeting other writers who had not got where they'd want, wanted to be. Um, I mean, one aspect of it was I got my, I, I sold the book just before my grandfather died and he'd wanted to be a writer all his life and had never been successful in getting anything published and I got to tell him um, that I was going to be a published author on his, on his on his on his what turned out to be on his deathbed you know in hospital and um, he was just over the moon he was so it felt meaningful and good and almost miraculous to him and uh And then he came back to life. No, that's um, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, he didn't. It didn't. It didn't. Sadly, it was not sufficient to um, prevent his death. Um, that I mean, that would have been. I I would have probably probably spun that out into a sequel if that had happened. Um, but you know, it brought some things to a head. You know, it it it. it and you know the writing of the book and then the selling of the book and then the people i met there you know it, it it allowed me to talk to some people in my life about dreams that they'd had and you know not just my grandfather but my mum's mum on the other side of my family who'd wanted to write and then had given that up and how i might be taking on how i might have absorbed some of their dreams you know without realizing and, and i was taking those on you know and then one of the people who read the book when it came out one of the few people who read the book because it didn't do very well it wasn't seen by many people the sales of it were not great um but one person who read it ended up being the person who became my wife i think i've mentioned that on the podcast before but she read it and something in it resonated you know from her own experiences making music and i don't think that would have happened if i'd if I hadn't been honest in it, you know, if I hadn't written about something that I was really felt like an important part of my life, I don't think there would be anything to resonate there, you know. Like I, I, I didn't lie. I made myself vulnerable. Um, and that, you know, if you do that, then there's something authentic there that might connect with other people who feel the same way. And so, in a very real way, if I hadn't 
sat down and tried to write that book, I wouldn't be sitting here now. I wouldn't have this house. I wouldn't be married to my wife. I wouldn't have my daughter. That's that's like that. You know, that's incalculably huge, right? The the impact of my writing that book. It's like I. It's just massive. I mean, you you may be sick. I think, well, Tim, you might have been. <laughs> you might have had a much better. There may have been other options. <laughs> But I really, I, I really, I, I, not, not better options. Certainly, um, I, I'm joking. Like I think it's, you know, it's just, you know, it's, I, 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 I know, you can't. I'm not saying if you write a non-fiction book, you will uh, meet the partner of your dreams. Maybe an alarming prospect to you if you're already happily in a relationship. <laughs> but um, I'm saying that these things can connect you with people or. M- move parts of your life forward in ways that you might not be expecting um i think it gives you an excuse to pursue secondly if you're writing about something on a subject that you really care about and that really matters to you and i don't want to sort of circumscribe that in any way that, that that means it's got to be about some sort of burning social issue although it can be right you know like if if that's genuinely genuinely what matters to you personally in your that's the thing you in your heart you feel like you have to write about of course but I think the the key thing is it just has to matter to you and you know like for example we uh, you know I've had Helen MacDonald on the show who wrote H's for Hawk and wrote a book it's got lots of themes but it's You, you know it as as well as you know nature and history and things like that and you know she also talks about a you know, a fantasy novelist and birds right like uh, but but the but the, the but at the heart of the book you know it, it's a it's a story about death and and grief and I think it's also a book that, you know, maybe before it existed, few people would have seen it as a viable subject matter, certainly not to sell in the numbers it did. And, and I think it just goes to show that if something is written about with enough care and if it really, really matters and it's the book you had to write, then I think that and it's good <laughs> and it probably that it has a little bit of a fair wind behind it and a bit of luck but um i don't think people would have been you know I, i'm sure people wouldn't have been recommending it to each other if they didn't read it and feel profoundly moved and captivated and engaged by the experience and and so i think and and you can't carry yourself through the effort that is necessary to write a non-fiction book if it isn't the book that you have to write you know and and i mean so maybe that's not helpful in a way because saying it's the book you have to write can make the bar seem impossibly high you think well i'm not writing it now so it can't be the book i have to write yeah because like i'm not writing it now 
and the idea of it sounds like a bit of a ball ache. You know, like I'm not, I'm not feverishly researching it online at two a.m. I, you know, in, in many ways, I don't feel like writing it. So, is it the story I have to write? So, and and and, and maybe in a sense, you don't quite know what you want to write about until you start. So, I, I just think it's got to really matter to you the subject. Even if you feel like, I couldn't write that. I don't think I'd be good enough. I don't think I'm smart enough. But I kept, but I, do I care about it? Yeah. Like, I feel like, you know, with this new one I'm writing about on, on games. Do I, do I want to write it? Well, not all the time. <laughs> Sometimes it feels a bit scary. Uh, I feel that I've, find it hard to sort of put words together in some kind of coherent way I find it hard to decide what other people care about um I think you know does anyone gonna give a shit about this I some sometimes you research a thing and it's profoundly boring you know you look into the history of something and you go that's that's shite (laughs) that's who gives a shit I don't care I love games and I do not give I do not give a a monkey's bum hole. I do not give a monkey's ain about that. Um, that's just a series of dates. Nothing interesting or profound. To, you know, oh, oh, I see. So you're saying that decks of cards, uh, their appearance changed as. Uh, Print technology got more sophisticated. Well, fucking hell. Who who gives a shit? <laughs> no, nobody gives a shit. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you can do research and just go, I, even I don't care about this aspect of it. But I don't, I, so I don't want to write it all the time. But like, am I, you know, does it matter to me? Yes. Like that's, I can answer that immediately. Does it matter to me? Yes. Of course, yeah. And sometimes I come away from the conversations I'm having with people around the book or for the book and I'm just jazzed I'm so excited because it matters to me and I'm like at some fundamental level I don't give a shit if anyone anyone else cares about it I'm going to try and write a book that does that but this will have all still been valuable to me I mean I will be in deep shit financially if no one's interested in it but like I'm, I'm living my best life speaking to people about stuff that I care about and I think that's the moment. And when I've spoken to other people who've written nonfiction that they've really enjoyed writing, or that's involved, like, research that's involved approaching other people, that's the bit that you're just like, this is neat. This is kind of cool. Because you get to, like, you get to just go on a little treasure hunt, a little detective. You get to start writing to people. I, like, hate that in terms of. I feel anxious, I feel like I'm going to bother them, I feel like they're going to tell me to fuck off. But I'm approaching people, I'm finding out, finding, you know, finding someone who re- is an academic who researches X, Y or Z, I'm finding someone who's famous in this area, and I, and I you know, drop them a little line or try and find some way of approaching them and going, will you speak to me for this thing? And every single one is just like, it's an exciting little something that you're advancing you know it's an it excite and sometimes you you have those conversations and they say stuff that's so interesting and you get a nice little quote that you're like oh that's just summed up something that i was thinking about so well 
And sometimes you'll speak to someone and they'll say, hey, have you spoken to such and such? You, If you want to find out about this, you need to speak to X. And you go, oh, and they go, I can put you in touch with them if you like. And you go, oh, fucking hell. And you're like, you feel like you're cracking the case. It's cool and it's exciting. And if you care about the subject, right, they're going to be telling you stuff that's like revelatory in a field, in an area that you really care about. Like when I wrote my book about anxiety, I was writing it from a perspective of someone who anxiety circumscribed like every day of my life, who was having like panic attacks weekly and often daily and often multiple times daily. So when they, I was asking you know, a neuroscientist, a psychiatrist, a, 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 a immunobiologist, a, you know, a sports scientist, a, you know, about the state of play in sort of anxiety, how it works, you know, what our latest technology is, that the latest science, what the latest research is telling us about how to deal with it. I cared about their answers. You know, this was like deeply, deeply interesting to me and it had real world consequences and I kind of got an audience with all these people that I normally wouldn't have access to. You know, I don't, I, you know, can't afford, you know, to, like, I think, like, the concert, like, and I got quoted for a 90-minute session with a private psychiatrist. It was, like, 390 quid which is just absolutely fucking ridiculous, right, for, a you know, a, a, an evaluation session. Absolutely dreadful amount of money that someone's ex- expected to, to to pay to get a formal diagnosis. And, and that is, like, fairly low compared to what someone might be expected to pay privately to, say, get a diagno- private diagnosis, assessment and diagnosis, say, ADHD or autism which is like a two-day assessment process typically right but sorry my, my point being that you know in writing the book I got to speak to like I got to like chat with Dr Adrian James who is the president of the Royal Society of Psychiatrists uh, because I'm like I'm doing a book and they don't ever go, you know what is interesting, in case you're going, well, you, you, you're the great Tim Clare. Of course, doors open for you wherever you approach someone. But no, like, nobody knows who the fuck I am. Nobody even went, have you sold the book yet? Because when I was speaking to most people, I hadn't. Who's going to be publishing this? No one said, no one said, what have you published before? They, I, they just went, yeah, right. I just said, I'm writing a book. Then they went, yeah, right. And at some point you have to be, you know, one of those people is going to be the first person you've spoken to for the book. And I'm writing a book. Who have you spoken to? No one. It doesn't matter. Like, I think people are sort of surprisingly, or at least, and I I doubt that I have some devastating charisma that opens doors for me. I don't think that's true at all. I, I, I think, if anything, I come across a little bit highly strong and needy in my emails with people. But, you know, some people will speak to you. Uh, and then you're chatting to them. And through a process of speaking to people, then you start to feel a sense of legitimacy slowly. You know, of course, you feel, 
element of imposter syndrome. But then I, I always like to think of that more as mischief, right? I'm just like, oh, I'm getting away with it. <laughs> Free ride. And then after a while, you sort of build these things up and then you do know a little bit about the thing. So you're getting you're getting access to people. Then you go. So think about like subjects you really care about. I don't know what it is. You know, maybe something in your family history you always wondered about. You want to go digging back into something that affects you in your daily life, some big question that you've got. And then you kind of go digging into that and you go, who would I want to speak to? Like, who's, like, who would I, like, want to hunt down and get access to? Or that'd be, they'd be difficult. So who could, who's adjacent to them who I might be able to speak to? Do you know what I mean? Like, all of these things, it's quite exciting. Uh, and, and you get to do that. And it's legitimised through the process of writing, writing a book. And then maybe at the end you get paid for it. Like, how exciting is that? And you get and you get this process of discovery and then you get to go to the library. And I, I realise I'm getting excited about going to the library, but libraries are cool. Fuck you. But you get to go to the library and you go and, you, and you're like looking up a particular subject and you find an old book on it and you're looking through it. And you, you, you find, you know, I've been, I've been speaking to someone from the British Museum and and then contrasting like what he's told me with, like old like photocopy you know well, i guess like scans of uh, uh typewritten letters from the 1920s and then and then and then though you know cross referencing those with uh, like a history book that i've found that, that you know i got i got a second hand history book off uh, uh abe books that's out of print now but i wanted to get hold of it because i knew it would have an account of this archaeological dig that i wanted to know about and and and, and that kind of stuff and putting stuff together and then finding a news article and realizing on a subject that you're interested in and going oh it's got the name of the journalist who wrote this article what if i drop them an email and say i know this is going to sound cheeky but can i I, I loved your article and I'm really interested in it. Can I speak to you about it? And they say yes. And then you're speaking to them. And then you're speaking to someone on the opposite side of the world about X, Y, and Z. And then... And I, I just... It's so exciting to me. It's so exciting to me doing non-fiction. Um, because you can affect the world in real time. You know, you can make connections. You can... Figure something out for yourself. I mean, like, you know, writing the book, writing Coward, it's nearly, it's been nearly two years. Come November, it will have been two years since my last panic attack. And I've been having them for over 10 years, as I say, weekly and sometimes daily. And if you've ever had a panic attack, you know how intense that is and how bad I had it. How utterly bad. And I did some stuff and explored some stuff in the writing of the book and they've gone. And I've never had one since. And that is unreal. Like that that is life that's you can see why I'm calling it life changing. It's not an exaggeration, it's not a joke. So in a sense, whether the book does well or if no one buys it, I don't give a flying fuck because it was worth it for doing that. Like that has changed my life. And it's something I had to write about. And writing this book about games, it's going to sound weird. And, and and I'm not really ready to say why yet, but the writing about games has led to some sort of profound moments of self-discovery. And also just I've been talking to some great people and I'm dead excited. 
and it's something I care about you know like why you know why do we play why do I play what's it meant to me you know I think about sitting around the table with my dad and playing card games and how that is such a happy and peaceful place in my mind for me is sitting down with my dad to play a game it's such a safe zone for me and returning to a table and bought you know to playing a game on a on a, on a table where there's cards or you know getting the board out and rolling dice it's such a it's it, it's so associated with safety and stability and things being okay in the world and I'm sure you've got similar associations in your life whether it's you know cooking you know maybe you cooked with your mum or your dad or your uncle or your granddad and there's certain smells maybe certain spices or a certain cake you used to make together or something you used to listen together on the radio or what the tv program you watched together or a place you used to visit a summer holiday destination or a, a park or we've all got these profound sensory associations that at some level inform fundamental beliefs about the world whether the world is a good or bad place you know and they inform decisions we make in our lives they inform how we try to love our children they steer our behaviours when we're looking for comfort or safety or they might there might be other decisions that have negative associations where we don't feel we can do something because of this this space that we can't talk to we can't talk around and that's the other thing i want to say about writing non-fiction it's like fundamentally fundamentally right at the heart of it i think with any difficult thing we've been through or any even if it's not traumatic just something complex and nuanced and knotty and it feels like we can't resolve it in our head i think you know fundamentally as humans we want to be heard we want to speak to one another and you know we're a social species i think that's a very very uncontroversial statement that we're gregarious and we want connection and we want real connection which is so it's a trite thing to say but it's so hard these days you know it's so difficult for us to make space for each other for someone to be not okay in our presence you know for a friend to be like bawling and like fucked up and you know want our time for three hours and and, and or you know to be miserable or to be shitty or down or blue it's so hard for us to make space for people to not be just like uh you know to to be we're, we're okay with people being sort of like not a little bit not okay or whatever or having some doubts but it's hard to make space for people to be like really it's hard to make space for a friend you know you don't meet up for a coffee and someone's like going i just keep thinking about death like you there's hard we that's not socially we've got a whole suite of behaviors that are socially acceptable and a whole little roster of um 
I guess exchanges that are seen as to as being sort of within the normal currency of of talking. And you know, you'll have various acquaintances. You know, not quite friends. Who you, you you know you you have social interactions with, and you can share jokes with and stuff. But really, there's not you can't really talk about stuff. You know, you just go through a series of social performances. And I don't mean to diminish those lovely little you know the person you wave at you know the name of the person in the shop whatever i i'm not i'm not, i don't mean to be scathing i'm not saying we should be able to like there should be you should be going into the shop and having like dark existentialist debates with them all the time but it is it is rare to be able to speak your heart, speak your doubts, speak your joys as well. Your secret yearnings. You know, God, how many times have you, you know, like had a secret crush or something, you know, that you can't talk about or a secret fantasy. I don't mean a sexual fantasy. I just mean, you know, like a, you know, it's even something as silly as like a, a country you just long to go to and you don't want to talk about it because it sounds silly. Maybe a, a career that you'd like to do that you're not doing now, but it doesn't seem very responsible. And it's not necessarily that you want anything to change, but how many of those things just remain utterly in our own heads, you know? Or just fears or worries or someone you miss. Or memories that maybe you're not even consciously aware of, but like if you've got to talk about something and someone asks you and genuinely interested in you, tell me about this, tell me about this time, and, and you start pulling it out and teasing it out and suddenly you're remembering this amazing holiday you had when, you know, when you were 12 and the sandy beach and rock climbing and that lovely... safe cosy feeling of climbing up into a sand dune and and, and going through that coarse grass and and finding a hollow at the top of the sand dune where the wind just cuts off and you lie down and everything suddenly goes still and quiet just more than anything else I think writing non-fiction, writing about your life, revisiting in all five senses your memories and telling the story of them and talking about how you felt then and how you feel about it, looking back. So many of our unresolved emotions are just looking. They are just like messages that want to be delivered. They want to know. They want to hand that letter over. And for someone to say message received. I hear you. God that sounds amazing. What a beautiful time you had. Or oh, I just want to say like I'm sorry you went through that. You know, you're a wonderful person. You're beautiful and you don't have to change. You're great just as you are. Just so many of our feelings 
I feel are just like messengers who just are <laughs> so tired and they want to hand the message over, the letter over, and then they can have a biscuit and go to bed, you know? That's all they're looking for. And fundamentally, writing non-fiction lets our stories be heard. It, the page listens to us in a way that no one else would. And we can figure out what we mean. And sometimes, you know, you write down one thing and then later on you come back to it and you go, you know what, that's not the whole story. And ah, that's not quite what I meant. And you can refine it, you know. There's not just, just one thing. It's not always just about venting, you know. Maybe you come to the same thing a few different ways. And, you, and, and, and as your feelings are heard, as your story is heard, your feelings about it change. The message is delivered, and I think that's most that's the can be the most profound experience of all. You know, is is writing your story and listening to the stories of others and having those stories be heard, because we are a social species, and <laughs> so much of the vocalizations of stories in our head and, and really what is the purpose of a story if not to be heard what is a story if it's not heard I don't know. we're such these narrative generating machines and we want to be able to pass these things on it's part of you know what drives us is to tell and hear and be heard these stories I really think you know you could stand to it's not even a writing exercise just something that you could think about and I think it's great to like then go and read some people you know go to the non-fiction section in your local bookshop and find a couple of books that you, on a subject that just interest you and read how other people have approached this right but have a think about like, what do you care about and what if you were given the chance would you write about and I, I, I know there's some things that you know I suppose when we're getting published then sometimes the question is like why why you why why are you the right person to write this um, and so sometimes we have to work out how we ground it in the personal but also you know sometimes with a biography and they say why you know why you and the question, the reply has to be, why not me? And it, sometimes you can make the case for yourself by doing the work, right? Go, why, why me? Well, because I'm the only person who cares, because I care about it enough. Because I'm going to go out and I'm going to find out about this person, this obscure person that no one else cares about. And I'm going to start doing the work. And I'm going to find how I get access to the archive with this person's letters in. I'm going to approach their widow not in a threatening way just a nice letter saying i'd really like to write a book i'm interested in writing about this person would you be willing to speak to me and you start you start the ball rolling and you say well you know actually what guess what universe i don't think the universe is sentient but i think it can be fun and useful to pretend as if it is 
I'll tell you what, universe, rather than me assuming that I'm not allowed to do this and I'm acting as if that's true, I'm going to assume I am allowed to do this and uh, you can do the work of trying to throw up barriers to prevent me. Uh, And if you can't stop me, then, uh, then, then... you know we'll just let well then then i win the right to write it let's see what happens and actually you can fold the barriers into the narrative you can you can make the story all my, my books that i write have me i exist as a character within them you know as the person writing it you know i talk about my reasons for wanting to write it and i include the reader in the process of having written it you know i don't pretend that i, I i'm a, objective i'm a subjective person who cares about the subject and I think, you know, the whole process of being sort of not qualified to write it or not sure who to go to or tracking stuff down can be part of the thrill for the reader. I think that if we can get behind you, why do you want to write this? Well, I just care about it. I just care about this band because when I was growing up, they, I was, you know, I was a really lonely teenager and they got me through that period I, I, I listen to them all the time. I listen to them through my parents' divorce. And I connected with those lyrics in such a profound way. And I, 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 just, I, I just have to know what, you know, what it was like from the other side of the speaker. I'm going to do a job, good job of this because I care. That's an exciting, you know, you don't have to be like a famous music journalist who, you know, frankly, probably is going to do a a sort of more distanced, perfunctory job on it. You know, because you, because I care, because I have to, (laughs) because I have to is such a good reason. Why are you the right person to write this book? Because I have to write it. Sign me the fuck up. Right. I'm going to leave you there. Thank you for helping Death of a Thousand Cuts reach a million listens. You're wonderful. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to support it and allow me to continue doing it, you can drop me a few beans via the uh, my coffee page. That's uh, www. You don't need that bit, do you? ko-fi.com forward slash Tim Clare. Put a link in the show notes. I'm just going to, you know, make a general appeal. If you like the show and you want to drop me like three quid, um, if if like a third of people listening now go and click the link in my coffee page and drop me three quid, I'll be pretty much set for the year. So, yeah. If you, yeah, if you like the show and you like me putting out weekly content and you want to support it, you, you don't get anything except for my, my gratitude and, you know, the sort of a, a raised likelihood of uh, me continuing doing the, doing this show for writers and for anyone who cares about books. Um, but generally, I want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing it with other people. Thank you for writing to me. There'll be a link to my um, website in the show notes as well. That's timgladpert.co.uk. If you click on the contact me link, you can just drop me a line. Tell me what you enjoy about the show, what you'd like to hear me talk about in the future. Send me your first page if you want me to do, uh, you know, a critique of it. That's it. Um, thank you. 
and thank you for listening to me this far that's really generous of you i hope you're having a great life and i wish you a wonderful week of writing <laughs>